This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to episode 73 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, July 4th. It has come to my attention that I have not been real zippy in the intros lately, so I drank a crap load of cold brew coffee and a crap load of kombucha, and now I'm firing on all cylinders. And this week, we are reviewing comics from the week of Wednesday, July 4th, and reading your answers to the question of the week that we posted on Facebook last night in more than a timely fashion. We did it early. I was going to post a reminder this morning, but we already had like a billion responses. I love it. I love it. You guys are great. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not graciously accepting cases of Molson Canadian and gift certificates to Tim Hortons from my new fans in the Great White North, I'm writing about and appraising <laughs> comics for WoodPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, and when I'm not flaming my co-host on Twitter out of sheer jealousy after he was a hit on last week's Panel Culture Podcast, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You didn't defend me the, when the Panel Culture guys said I was the, being a the jerk. The Canadians contacted me and said you were mean. This week, you'll hear reviews of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number one and Hero Worship number one. After that, we'll review ten comics faster than Mitt Romney can contradict himself and his campaign manager in the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss the future of next week's comics. And finally, one lucky listener will have new meaning in their life after we answer his or her question during this month's installment of Ask a Nerd. But before we get to the embarrassing story of how we spend Independence Day in the emergency room after trying to fire artillery shells from our unzipped fly as part of a Nova the Horny Rocket impersonation, let's take a second to say goodbye to our old friend, the Sheriff of Mayberry, and the feistiest octogenarian defense attorney on TV. Andy Griffith died this week, folks. That sucks. It's a bummer. He was an old guy, though. He had a good life. He had a good run. He did. Right? Let's kick back in our stadium seats, take a hit from our overpriced, watered-down drinks. I drink beer at the movie theater, sir. <laughs> and dive into the tub of hot, buttery goodness of the latest comic book property to make it to the big screen. This week, Matt and I saw The Amazing Spider-Man, a reboot of Sony Pictures' Spider-Man franchise directed by Mark Webb. The film stars Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy, Sally Field as Aunt May, and President Josiah Bartlett as Uncle Ben. <laughs> Matt, before we get into what worked and what didn't, is it too soon for a Spider-Man movie reboot? That's what everyone seems to be thinking. That is the biggest gripe. Everyone says, ah, it's too soon, man. We just saw it. Okay, here's the deal. Is it too soon? Maybe it is. Sure. But that has no bearing on whether or not this is a good movie. And I got to say, as far as what worked for me in this film, the casting was excellent. Very excellent. Andrew Garfield blew Tobey Maguire off the screen. Totally. He, he just nailed this. He was a believable Peter Parker. He was a teenager. He wasn't cartoony and ridiculous like Maguire, who has trouble playing a human being in most movies. He was really good. Emma Stone, I still don't understand why she couldn't have been Mary Jane, because she's already a redhead, and I don't buy that they were trying to distance themselves for anything, because everything else is here. No, I'm glad that they did, because the last thing I would have wanted, you know what would have exacerbated the criticism is if the movie was exactly the same, Mary Jane and the Green Goblin. I mean, I'm not saying I needed the Green Goblin. They Obviously, did something different, and I appreciated it. And we'll get that. to what didn't work in just a second, speaking of the villain, but Martin Sheen, 
did an excellent job. Aunt May and Uncle Ben were both Sally much Field, better. wonderful. And then the the guy that played Kurt Connors, I can't say his name. Reese Ifans? That's right. Was really good. Yep. I did not like the way he looked as the lizard. That's where the movie fell down for me. The, in fact, the only place it fell down was the way the lizard looked. I didn't like it. There were things, there were criticisms. I mean, the movie wasn't perfect. I'm not even dealing with the, was this perfect? I, because ultimately the question is, was it better than Raimi's? And I'm saying yes. I'm saying this was better than Sam Raimi's. There were, there were things that it not got wrong, but they made a very conscious choice, and you could definitely see where they made that choice. They did not actually do the whole power and responsibility speech. But the speech we got was they, really good. They paraphrased it. They yeah. reworked it. And I think that that's Webb trying to make his own mark, and I get it. There are some things, though, that are core to Spider-Man, so you, and that's kind of one of them. You needed to hear him Listen, say power and responsibility. I'm not saying it's a deal-breaker, because I loved it. Okay. I Ultimately, I thought it was great. But that was something that bothered me. Go back and watch the original Uncle Ben deliver it from Raimi's. And it is just painful. Yeah, but that guy is not a very good actor. <laughs> Regardless, actually, he is. Shame on you. He's a pretty good actor. <laughs> well, did he do a good job in Raimi's Spider-Man? I think the script was terrible. The script was bad. And in retrospect, the movies don't hold up as well as I want them to. This was a better film. I'm, I'm saying push all the crap that you've heard aside about it being too soon. Go see this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, how it compares to the Raimi trilogy, I think it was better. I do too. Raimi's movies ended up drowning in their own camp. Yeah. And by the by the third one, like you said, they were just unbearable. And even the first two, even though Spider-Man 2 is a lot of fun, if you look back at it now, it is so cheesy. It's silly. It's just absolutely silly. Yeah. And there was cheese here. There definitely was yes. some. And but, I'm not saying I want Spider-Man to be modern and moody and blah, blah, blah. No, but and this even was, wears a hoodie. And, this was just dark enough. Just silly enough, just cool enough, and just action-packed to give everybody what they wanted. And I had a lot of fun with it. I loved this movie. My favorite thing was that this character moved and spoke like Spider-Man. Yes. How I picture it in my head when I'm reading Spider-Man comics, that's what I saw. The choreography was amazing. The the effects, the digital effects for Spider-Man's movements were amazing. I really loved it. And the web shooter stuff was great. It really was. People were saying, I don't like the way they light up or whatever. But they did it the right way. They did change some things about Spider-Man, but they made it more believable. The origin worked better here. And if you're going to update it, then you may as well change it. Yeah. Because him, Tobey Maguire walking around in a museum, where, welcome to the Museum of Dangerous Science, where we do dangerous experiments in front of the public with no protection whatsoever. You know, it just doesn't work. They did an excellent job updating the story. It looked great. It felt great. Is it a Marvel movie? Sadly, no. But it was excellent. And if they never touch anything else, this could be a completely self-contained trilogy, which we now know it's going to be a trilogy. They announced it. And it still seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Go see this movie. Liked it a lot. Last week, THN reported Tony Daniels' departure as writer and artist of Detective Comics. Now, DC has announced his replacements. Chew writer John Lehman will take over writing duties on Detective Comics with October's issue 13. Weird! Yeah! Joining Lehman is Jason Fabok, or Fabok, artist of last month's Batman Annual, which was absolutely beautiful, I might add. The publisher also announced that writer Scott Snyder would be running with one of Daniel's plots in a storyline featuring the long-awaited return of the Joker in a storyline called Death of the Family. 
DC said the Joker will come out in a dark and horrifying, unnerving and huge way. And, and the grave consequences of his reemergence will be felt not by only the Bat family, but by all of Gotham City, which is code for crossover. He crippled Batgirl. He killed Robin. <laughs> what will the Joker do next? And what must Batman do to protect his secret identity and those who fight alongside him? Joe. Things are definitely looking up for Detective Comics, but do you think Snyder can duplicate the success of Night of the Owls with this new storyline? I think DC very wisely kept the Joker off the board for the entire first year of the New 52. But wasn't the Joker in? He was, told, in he was already in Daniels, right? No, in, Detective in Detective Comics number one. Yeah, he showed up and got his face cut off. I don't even think you... I, I don't have it in front of me and I don't recall, but I don't even think you actually see the Joker. You only see that the Joker's got his face cut off. I think they did show him. I don't briefly. think so, man. I think it was very brief. But for this entire year, the Joker has been completely off the table. And I think that's been great. Like I the anticipation, too. people are like, "Where's the Joker?" And I really hope that Snyder goes for a, a Heath Ledger, Dark Knight Returns, scary uh, kind of real world. I Joker. mean, I want him to be scary, but I do kind of like the maniacal. Uh, well, I mean, I like, would argue that he was the maniacal, maniacal clown Joker. I don't want him squirting people with acid out of a flower. And no, I love that stuff. <laughs> I that love stuff it. is gone, Joe. It's, it's gone. not gone. It's gone forever. You shut up. They ruined the DC universe, remember? You shut up. That stuff's not gone. As for Detective Comics, I am legitimately excited and interested to see what John Layman will do. I don't know if I've ever read a superhero story from John Layman, but Chu is an amazing comic, and Jason Fabok is a good artist. This is a ballsy choice, and you got to wonder if they're letting Layman have some leeway here, or is the hard editorial despotic <laughs> hand going to tell him exactly what he needs to write? I don't know, but so far, things are looking pretty good, at least for these two bat titles. Now it's only time to maybe get the Dark Knight out of there. <laughs> Finally, the rumors are true. Marvel Comics has announced the upcoming relaunch of a significant portion of their publishing line in an initiative they're calling Marvel Now! Don't call it a reboot! Entertainment <laughs> Weekly broke the story this week and published an intriguing teaser image by Marvel Chief Creative Officer Joe Quesada. The image featured a number of redesigned characters, some expected like Wolverine, Captain America, and Spider-Man, some unexpected, like a teenage Jean Grey and a not-dead Cyclops. Yeah. The article confirmed what has been rumored for a while now. Many of Marvel's most popular titles will see a creative shift and a relaunch with new first issues. Editor Tom Brevoort revealed that there will be at least 20 titles involved in the Marvel Now push, some of which will be completely new. While details of the relaunch are sparse at the moment, Marvel honchos have been quick to point out that Marvel Now is not a continuity reboot. Rather, it is an extension of existing storylines, especially Avengers vs. X-Men, and will deal with the Marvel Universe as it will stand at the end of the event. As of this recording, and believe me, I checked every like five minutes all day long, <laughs> only four titles involved in the Marvel Now relaunch have been announced. Coming in October, Uncanny Avengers by Rick Remender and artist John Cassidy. Ooh. <laughs> I know. The title will feature a mixed roster of Avengers and X characters, including Rogue and Havoc. Weird. Remender called the series a bridge book that will close the gap between the two teams, and it appears that Havoc, not Captain America, will be team leader. What the sh**? <laughs> As rumored, Brian Michael Bendis was confirmed to be the upcoming writer on all-new X-Men, which will feature the return of Jean Grey, just not in the way anyone expected. Bendis is bringing the original X-Men to the present day through the magic of time travel. 
These young idealistic heroes will see what they consider to be a bleak future and will not like what they find. Bendis said that the original X-Men will have plenty of interaction with their modern-day counterparts, at least the ones that'll still be around, wink wink, and that many fan-favorite characters like Kitty Pride will be front and center. No indication as to the fate of the other X-Titles was given, though Bendis stated that all new X-Men will be published instead of Uncanny X-Men on his blog before backtracking and saying that he had no idea what would happen to the other books. <laughs> Whoops. Tom Brevoort did confirm that Uncanny X-Men is going away. All new X-Men will launch in November with art by Stuart Immonen. I will eat my hat if Uncanny X-Men never comes back. <laughs> of course it'll come, <laughs> come back <on>. eventually. <laughs> Finally, Jonathan Hickman is, thank God, taking over the Avengers, which will now be a bi-weekly series with a vastly expanded roster of characters. Which sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. Avengers will feature a rotating art team beginning with Jerome Pena and including Adam Kubert, Dustin Weaver, and eh, Mike Diodato. Not only that, but Hickman will also be taking over New Avengers, which will have a completely different purpose that complements the main series. Think FF and Fantastic Four. What does that mean? Ah, Hickman's Fantastic Four collaborator Steve Epting will handle the art on New Avengers. Love it. Tom Brevoort said that Hickman is in it for the long haul and has over 60 issues of Avengers already planned. I believed it because I think there's 15 people named Jonathan Hickman. (laughs) Brevoort also confirmed that Secret Avengers and Avengers Assemble will continue, though he gave no other details. Avengers 1 will be released in December with new Avengers to follow in January. Reports are indicating that this will be a much slower rollout than DC's New 52 with titles launching one or two at a time over the span of several months. Obviously, more information will be forthcoming. Expect a lot of Marvel announcements at Comic-Con next weekend. Matt, what are your first impressions, buddy? My first impression was, oh my god, this is huge news. And then I sat down and I thought about it and looked at the titles and the redesigns and thought about the new number ones and I went... Isn't this just business as usual? (laughs) I mean, really? Doesn't Marvel launch at least like 6 to 20 new series every like 16 months or so? I mean, like this is not that big of news that like something starting over the new number one. Oh, my God. They've never done that before. They're canceling Uncanny X-Men. Oh, my God. That's never happened. Wait a minute. That's happened twice in the last five years. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm not downplaying this. It's not the it's not necessarily the number ones, but also you have to bear in mind that we only know four of maybe twenty books. Right. And there's gonna be a lot more stuff and it's gonna be exciting. It sounds like they're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. They like where their universe is at, so they're not going to shake it apart. DC style and try and start all over. I yeah, think if you look at the interviews that have come out this week with Casada, Brevort, and uh, Axel Alonso, the thing they really want to drive home is the fact that they love the Marvel Universe where it is and yeah. where it's going and the sense of history. They also know that we love it and well, they saw how people freaked out about DC so hardcore. Well, uh, hold you on. You know now. that registered. I listen, the DC relaunch came with an enormous sales boost. It did. Yes, it was temporary. A brief one. I can tell you that the DC thing got a lot of renewed interest from people that I haven't sure. seen in a long time. Sure, it did. I understand that Marvel is trying to avoid the backlash of a reboot, but I mean, this really is a way for them to go in a different direction. Like I said, this is kind of business as usual with a big creator shakeup. 
They're not really. There isn't that much that's changing. Yeah, but a big creator almost shake up every, is a big deal. It is. I'm just saying. Almost every two years, we get major like restarts of some major titles. This is not that big I mean, of a deal. It's certainly. It's Am I certainly excited? Not as dramatic as relaunching yes. or rebooting an entire line. Am I excited? I Absolutely. I think this will be a lot of fun. And I think they so far they know what we like. And right now, Marvel's winning. They're just winning in the Marvel or DC conversation. I don't think there's any argument that Marvel's doing a better job. I will say that if you look at the DC relaunch as compared to this upcoming thing, and you look at the fact that basically they're just reshuffling the cards they already had in their hand, right? Marvel's hand was already way stronger. Yeah, it really Hickman, was. Hickman, Bendis, Remender. Yep. I mean... And these guys are allowed to do whatever they want to do, as long as they're good stories. It's true. It's true. And I don't know and it how... like they're also all in the same room doing it, whereas DC... Man. Well, they're not... They're yeah, they're, literally they're in the figuratively same. in the same room. <laughs> Thank you. They're all in the bullpen. They're right down the hall, right? They're throwing like, you know, like wadded up paper through little basketball hoops into the garbage together. You know? <laughs> Actually, this week they were at the Marvel Retreat, though. Don't call it a movement! There's other ways of saying it! Call it round table! And I'm laying it down! Big and round! Leave it away on the couch! Battle mouths! Blaze that's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything we miss or talk about the new Spidey movie, hit us up on our Facebook page where we're going to be rolling out details of our own reboot wherein Joe Patrick and I switch personas and for a change, I'm the nice guy and he gets to be the asshole. <laughs> Last night, we posted the question of the week on our Facebook and our Twitter. If you want to play along, all you got to do is follow us or like us, kids. And it went a little something like this. After the Marvel Now announcement, what has you most excited or disappointed? Joe, what are our lovely listeners saying? Several people on our Facebook page, including Darren Jensen and Andrew McBride, are really pumped for uh, Hickman's Avengers. Yeah, how can you not be, man? Andrew McBride says, The man is incredible with the long game, and those not reading Marvel, you're missing out on some quality comics. Yes, it's true. He says that in response to some dissenting opinions, which I'll mention later. Oh, boy. It's review time again, where each week, DJ and I put on our lab coats, flip a bunch of science switches, and then send two comics screaming along the two-and-a-half-mile-long THN Super Collider in opposite directions at near light speed, and then smash them into one another to see if what's left is any good. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the Higgs to my boson, Joe. Tell the kids what you read this week. You say the sweetest things. My review is of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe number one from DC Comics, written by James Robinson, with pencils by Philip Tan, inks by... Rai Jose and LeBeau Underwood, both of which sound like totally made-up names. Yeah, totally. Here's your solicit, if you could call it that. Skeletor strikes with his master plan to rule Eternia. Can Adam and the Masters of the Universe remember what Eternia was like in time to save it? That's about all that happened. Two really. sentences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That really did sum it up, though. It really, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the story of He-Man after Skeletor wins. Prince Adam is now a lowly woodsman who's having strange dreams of a life he doesn't remember living. When his memory starts to return, Adam sets off on his hero's quest to fill in the gaps of his past. I thought Robinson did a pretty good job on the script here. I really like the hook of the series. The bad guys have won, and the good guys don't remember that they're the good guys. Sure. It's interesting, uh, and I was really looking forward to reading it. Unfortunately, this issue is almost entirely set up. 
Yeah. Which isn't always a bad thing, but this is only a six-issue miniseries, and I would have liked to have seen Robinson get to the point a little sooner. Just out, just out of curiosity, how long did it take you to read this book? Less than five minutes? Less than five minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of Adam's life as an ordinary man, which is necessary to a degree, but the book is half over, literally half over. Yeah. Before he embarks on his hero's journey, it's a little much. The art by Philip Tan is actually pretty decent. I'm not normally a fan of his work, but I enjoyed what he did here. Unfortunately, the presence of multiple inkers does a disservice to the art. It, it looks definitely changed. Beautiful in parts. Like there's a scene where Beast Man comes out of the forest and it is detailed and And he looks beautiful great. Looking. He looks really cool. And then the next page, it's rushed and lacking in detail. Yeah, there's a scene where they're fighting and it's like I think they're trying to illustrate that he was sliding down a hill maybe. Sliding down a hill. But I had just, a hard time with that too. It didn't work at all cuz the trees were still standing straight up and it just sort of looked like the world shifted, you know, <laughs> it like was, it ugh, didn't work there at all. Overall though, I thought this was a decent first issue. Not a lot happened and I agree. And I just can't see somebody getting all worked up about it if they weren't already a He-Man fan. So I have to give it a skim it. I'm with you. I, I liked it, though. I am a He-Man fan. I just, it's hard to recommend to somebody who might not care. Look, I'm not saying that it's impossible to write a good He-Man comic. There's no reason why they couldn't write a good one. You know what this read like to me? This read like a $1 preview issue. And had it been a $1 preview issue, I would say, yeah, pick it up. Buy it. This He-Man book looks like it could be fun. You can't start a six-issue miniseries like this. This is a colossal waste of time. And we learned nothing. We learned nothing. There was one action scene, and that was it. I'm not going to say leave it, because like you said, I think the hook is pretty good. And I think that Robinson will build to something. I don't think this is the way to start a He-Man book. I think... Robinson is really good at building towards something like he is in his Shade book, which is coming to an awesome conclusion that people who read Starman are willing to follow because they know what they're getting into. If you only know He-Man and the Masters Universe and you pick this up, what is going to make you want to read the second issue? What exactly is going to grab you? I think that it did have hooks, but it needed more. I think it needed more. I think maybe which James is why Robinson, I to skim it. I think Robinson might be the wrong guy for this job. I'm not saying it was terrible. I'm not even saying it's all Robinson's fault. I just think that maybe the the pacing could it could use some work. And that's really my only issue with the writing is that it's paced poorly. Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of problems here. It's not terrible, but I just don't see what's going to hook someone in who's just like, "He man, I haven't thought about that guy forever. I'll check it out." Eh, I can only give this a skim it and it's not a good skim it. Matt, what did you read this week? I checked out Hero Worship number one from Avatar, written by Avengers and X-Men movie scribe Zach Penn and some guy named Scott Murphy. Art by Michael D. Pascale. You thought I was going to screw that up, didn't you? Dipascale. Michael Dipascale. Yeah, I grew up next to Mike. He's a good kid. Because <laughs> on the cover, it's in all caps. Uh, yeah, so just like, <laughs> Dipascale. This is not so much the story of Zenith, a Superman analog alone in a world with what seems like only one hero, but more the story of Zenith's adoring fans. The main character is a kid named Adam Robeson. He's just your typical kind of inner city youth. He's sort of, he's not a punk rocker, not a hardcore kid. He's just a guy. But it turns out, He's heavy, heavy into Zenith, who is this world's Superman type figure. The story opens with Adam at a party where he's meeting this girl. He doesn't really know anyone else. And his buddy says, go talk to that chick. She's got a buzz. You know, and the next thing they know, they're kind of making out and everything. And he gets a text message. He checks his phone and it says, 
you know, construction accident downtown. He's definitely going to be there. And Adam stops making out with this girl. Like, just stops. Yeah. He was and all he, up in her dirty purple. And he was like, I got to go. He's skipping sex to go see his hero. And instantly in that moment, there's this great line where she's like, I'm not going to say it because it's kind of offensive. But she's like, whatever, gay wad, it, go hang out with yes, your nerd boy that friends. Wasn't a, that wasn't offensive. Right. But, which instantly sets up the tone of this world. There is a hero there. Most people really take him for granted. But there is still this loyal legion of fanboys, very much like comic books. We live in a world where comics are read by 100 to maybe 150,000 you know, loyal fans a month. And most everybody else could really give a crap about them. So it's an interesting take on the whole fanboy kind of thing. It's it's really well written. He's wearing this necklace that says, you know, WWZD, what would Zenith do? <laughs> you know, and we see it, like I said, we see him passing on sex. Him and his friends sneak to this roof of the building where they're, where the this crane is collapsing. And Zenith does show up and saves a guy. And then he turns and sort of waves to Tom and his buddies and their jaws just, dro- pardon me, waves to adam and his buddies and his jaws drop like they all just sort of stare in disbelief like a bunch of kids like being waved to by tom brady at the end of winning a playoff game or something it's a very fun take on the fanboy phenomenon it's a great hook for the story later on in the story we see adam rush to the hospital inexplicably and he wakes up with superpowers now i haven't seen the movie chronicle but i did read online a lot of people said that the scene where we first see Adam learn that he can fly and he flies up into the, you know, into the stratosphere and almost hits a plane. They're saying this is like directly lifted from Chronicle, like scene for scene, like it could be a movie storyboard. And it certainly doesn't help things that the movie just came out on DVD this past week as well. Now, I'm not saying it totally falls down or anyone is ripping anyone off. We don't know when this was written. Aren't you? It could have been well before Chronicle was written. I don't know. And like I said, haven't seen it. Really enjoyed the writing here, and I like the hook a lot. Unfortunately, Michael DiPascale, who's done a lot of cover work for Avatar, and his covers don't look bad. He's doing something different here. This is only his third penciling job, and I did not like the art or the way they colored the art at all. That Digicore Studios digitally colored this heavily photo-referenced art to the point that it just almost looks traced. It, it seems like they're going for this very realistic look, but it comes off cold and stiff and even just bizarre in some panels. It, it reminds me of Greg Horn's old Marvel covers. If Greg Horn was, and I don't want to say not as good as what he does because it wasn't good (laughs) you know but like maybe not as skilled at what he was doing (laughs) you know yeah it was very heavily photo referenced and it did get to me didn't work there were parts of it though like zenith actually whenever zenith showed up i actually thought that the zenith stuff looked fine there were some things that did look good any of the normal human characters it was so obviously photo referenced that it took me right out and they're going for this like full three-dimensional coloring style that just almost looks like cg to at some point and it just doesn't work at all it's a style that i don't care for at all it really did not work for me i had a twitter conversation a couple weeks ago with our buddy eric white and he was talking about how he was talking about digital comics and how the second he looks at a digital comic where the art sucks, it just instantly takes him out of it. And unfortunately, as well written as this was, the art took me right 
out of it. I've got to agree with him. It just didn't work. This is new territory for Avatar, though, in many ways. Not only is this not a horror title, there's no boobs, there's no boobs exploding. This is the least violent Avatar comic I've ever seen. There's like one scene with a little, some blood and gore. But other than that, I got to give more power to him for branching out, trying something new. Unfortunately, the art's where it fell down. I can only give this a skim it. Same here. A skim it from me. I thought the story was interesting. But, you know, like we've said about a, a few things in the past, this felt slight. There's a lot of setup, a lot of Adam yeah. going around and, and learning about his world and not enough of the actual plot. And so at the end of the day, it was an interesting story. I don't know if I'll continue. And the art really did bother me. It gets a skim it from me as well. So that's a double skim it for He-Man and a double skim it for Hero Worship. We're having a rough kind of non-committal. Not hate, not love kind of week. It's okay. I'm five for five positive in the ludicrous speed <laughs> round. As always, we want to know what you shirtless Aryan bodybuilders and fanboy stalkers thought of these comics. So let us know how 80-centric and photo-referenced our reviews were over at our Facebook page. DJ and I started training for this year's Contest of Champions 400-meter medley swim the day after we came in second to that asshole tiger shark at the time trials last year. So join us in the stands and root on your two-headed champion as we mount the block in our flashy lightning bolt and blazing speedo awaiting the elder of the universe to fire the gun, sending us butterflying and backstroking through the pool at world record speed to give us a chance to race for the ultimate trophy, the Globe of Life, against our nemesis, Atuma, at this year's contest of champions, all while reviewing ten comics during the ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Before Watchmen, Ozymandias, number one. Uh, before Watchmen, five for five. Jay Lee has never looked this good. It was absolutely beautiful art, and I was worried about Len Wein. It's kind of a... Now, I will say, this is not the strongest of the five. It is very good, though. It's just sort of like the journal of Ozymandias. That said, he's a very interesting character. This is a great read. Beautiful to look at. Buy it, buy it, buy it. You guys are jerks if you don't. Dial H, number three, from DC. This book is so damn bizarre. We finally get a hint as to how the book will continue without the main character having to drag that old phone booth around. <laughs> this is such an interesting take on a goofy Silver Age idea, and I love it. It's weird. Does it feel creepy. like it takes place in the regular DCU to you? Oh, I don't know, and I don't care. It does not I'm, to me. I'm giving it a buy it. Infernal Man Thing, number one from Marvel. Steve Gerber was a crazy person and a hell of a writer. Here we see him injecting himself into his Man Thing script as a character, Brian Lazarus, who's soulless hackneyed writing for bad cartoons and collector card sets has come to life and is plaguing the man thing. This is so meta, it's ridiculous. Beautiful Kevin Nolan art. And there's a reprint of the original story, so you're not lost. Buy this. It was great. Really liked it. Danger Club number three from Image. I love this book. It's so good. It gets better every issue. It's so good. There's the hint of like a, a conspiracy now. It's taking a twist. Our Golden Age hero might be the villain. I love it. It's Great art. beautiful Ooh, art. Really good I art. love where Landry Walker's taking this story. I'm giving Danger Club a huge buy it. Countdown to Landry Walker writing a title at Marvel DC real quick here. Huh? <laughs> right? The Cape, 1969, number one from IDW. Joe Hill and writer Jason Cherimella take the Cape to Vietnam circa 1969. And Nelson Daniels' art is awesome. Very well written. No sign of the Cape here. It's all set up. But it's a good kind of setup that didn't bother me. I didn't read the first mini, so I guess this is a great jumping on point. Count me in. Buy it! 
Earth 2, number 3. Alan Scott becomes Green Lantern in this issue, and other than the costume, he still feels like the Alan I used to know. No cape, though, which is a huge bummer. Still, I am really enjoying where Robinson's going with this new world, and Nicola Scott's artwork is just amazing. It is really good. Buy it. That's a real hyper-stylized lantern, too, right? It kind of looks like Kyle Rayner's old one. Yeah, I kind of like the design. Wolverine, number 310. Jeff Loeb and artist Bianchi turn the clock back to 2007. <laughs> Coward. And bring their stupid evolution story back to the pages of Wolvie. I don't care about Romulus. I don't care about the race of dog and or cat people that Wolvie and Sabretooth may have evolved from, which I would say doesn't make them mutants. And I don't care about Sabretooth if Jeff is bringing him back the way I think he is. Leave this. You heard it here first. Matt doesn't believe in evolution. Suck. That's not true. Thief of Thieves, number six. (laughs) From Image Comics. Just when I think this story arc is about to wrap up, there's another twist that adds a new angle, and I love it. The art by Sean Martinborough is fantastic. It is so good. My one fear is that the quality will fluctuate when the new creative team comes on board. They got it set up like that writer's room thing, and Spencer will be gone. I, I, I think be, it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay. I'd be happy if Spencer and Martinborough stayed on the book indefinitely, but still. Think about all the different writers on your favorite TV show. Know, That's what they're doing. I know. I'm loving it for now, though, so buy it. Muppets number one from Marvel. Roger Langridge brings the one thing to the Muppets that no one has been able to since the death of Jim Henson. What? Timing! <laughs> it's funny. Language has an amazing grasp on the cheesy slapstick comedy that made the Muppets great. Between this and Popeye, I'm becoming a huge fan of this guy. He can do whatever he wants, and it's hilarious. This was fun. Buy it. Give it to your kids. Invincible, number 93, Image. More gaps in the story of Robot and Monster Girl's time away get filled in, and it is looking like things did not end well. Cory Walker and Ryan Otley share our duties on this book, and it's beautiful. Invincible has only gotten better over the years. I highly recommend picking up the series in trade if you've never read it. Buy it already. I would argue that those that our team has melded into one person. They are <laughs> doing so well. You yeah. cannot tell. It switched to Ryan Otley halfway through the book, and that for a second there, I didn't even notice. No, you wouldn't know. It was seamless. Pazanch! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Pazanch is the sound it makes when Animal hits its crash symbol, which I think is a kind of weird choice, but hey. Roger Langridge is nailing it, so I'm not bitching, as seen in this week's Muppets number one. Now, join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Matt and I are joined by Pinhead, Chatterbox, and several other Cenobites who are actually quite pleasant to hang out with when they find that the person who opened the puzzle box isn't a pervert hoping for fishhooks on chains to pull off his genitals. But rather, just a couple of nerds hoping for the secrets of next week's comics. It turns out they're just misunderstood. (laughs) Matt, what have the dark messengers of Leviathan got you all fired up for next week? Next week, I'm excited for Punk Rock Jesus, number one, from Vertigo DC, written and drawn by the amazing Sean Murphy. This is a black-and-white comic that follows the adventures of J2, the clone of Jesus Christ. Little Juggernaut. <laughs> Lil Juggy. <laughs> the clone of Jesus Christ, who's on a road trip across America, followed by a reality TV crew in the near future. Joe, what are you going to be reading? I really felt as though I had no other choice but to pick Walking Dead number 100. Yeah, I mean, come on. From it's Image huge. Comics by Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adler. However... Honorable mention has to go to Batman 11 by Snyder and Capullo, the finale of The Court of the Owls. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm calling it. I think Rick's going to die. 
in Walking Dead. Calling your shot? I'm calling it. You heard it here first, folks. I will not be surprised. If you'd like to call your shot in next week's comics, hit us up on our Facebook page or our Twitter and let us know what you nerds are reading. It's time for one lucky listener to climb to the snowy summit of Mount THN, where he will find the great two-headed comic poobah who will answer their greatest and most confounding question in a little segment we call Ask a Nerd. This week, Keith Silva writes via email, Joe, as someone who manages a comic shop, how do you feel about <laughs> crowdfunded projects like Kickstarter or Indiegogo that essentially cut out the retailer? Now, I realize that going to cons would give me access to Artist Alley, and I'd be able to buy direct from the artist there as well. As crowdsource funding sites increase in popularity and more artists get involved, I'm wondering if this will impact sales at comic shops. My Keith Silver impersonation. <laughs> I picture him as a little Jewish guy from Rhode Island. Great question, Keith. It's a fantastic question and very topical. It is. I will say that as somebody who manages a comic shop, I'm not really bothered by projects that are funded by Kickstarter because no. those are projects that without funding would not get made anyway. Well, and these are projects that are not going to make it into the previews catalog. Yeah, exactly. They're just not. They're not going to get the orders. Even if they, even when you see people, like someone comes out and wants to start a comic book, and they say, look, I'm trying to raise $5,000 to get this out or get this published or whatever. Just because they raised $5,000 doesn't mean that 5,000 people gave a dollar. You no. know what I mean? So you've got to have minimum orders of what is it? Like 1,200, I think, oh, to be gosh. in time or something like that? No, I think it's like 6,000. Oh, it's you not to, that it's high. It's 6,000 retail dollars. It's, okay, 6,000 retail dollars. Or something like that. So, yeah. yeah so it's like 1,200 issues at two ninety nine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know. Around there. These are comics that are never going to make it to a comic store in the first place that would not exist without Kickstarter. And... They're not all successful. Uh, Leah Hernandez recently had one where she was trying to do a comic strip, and she was trying to raise $40,000, which is a lot. And it kind of fell on its face. I mean, probably because she was trying to raise a little too much money. The project looked really good, but I also think the idea was she was going to be doing a weekly strip, and she was hoping for money to support it for a year. If you've got a finished product and you want to come out and say, here's my comic, it's done. You guys help me throw some Kickstarter money at this and it'll get published and you each get one. There is no problem with that. In fact, I think that is brilliant because what it right. does is it, it takes the risk away from the publisher who in this case is just some guy with a comic book idea. He doesn't have anyone backing him. He doesn't have Image footing the bill or Marvel or DC. He's just some guy that made a comic book and he throws up what he's got on Kickstarter and says, hey, do you like this? Throw some money at it. I'll give you one. There is nothing wrong with that. And this might be where the alternative press goes. I think it's a good way for worthwhile creators to get their name out there and to get their work seen Definitely. by more than the handful of people that they hand their Kinko's photocopied, hand-stapled books to at a con. Right. 
And I, as a retailer, I'm not bothered by it because, like we said, these are books that probably would not make it into Diamond. So it's not like they're really taking us out of the equation. There's also no reason why retailers couldn't buy these and resell them. Absolutely. I saw a Kickstarter project just the other day for a graphic novel that had an option for retailer support. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a brilliant idea. And honestly, I really believe that this is where the alternative comics press goes what it does it takes diamond out of the equation which is fine which is fine with me because it puts the money where the money should go and that is directly in the pockets of the producers the the artists the writers the guys that are making the comics absolutely yeah like for example this thing that i saw and i wish i could remember what it was but it was the the funding option for the retailer was you know donate X amount of dollars and you got like 40 graphic novels and the resale value of those graphic novels was many times more than the donation. Yeah. So it's actually a better percentage than that retailer would get through diamond. So it's more money for the creator, less money for the retailer. If that's what, you know, what they choose to do. And if it gets their names out there, I think it's great. Like, look at Sam Humphreys. Yeah. His thing was not through Kickstarter. He's self-published, but now he's writing the ultimates. At Marvel. If that's not a success story, I don't know what is. And, you know, books for Boom. I mean, he's all over the damn place. And this is how these guys will get discovered. Not everyone can walk into a con and go, Mr. Mark Wade, Mr. Mark Wade, can I show you something? Do you think this is any good? You know, nobody has time to do it that way. This way, everybody votes with their dollars. And if anything, publishers look and say, look, people are paying for this. And there it is. It's quality stuff. It's out there. They did it on their own. It, it's essentially the way Image Comics does things now. You come to them with a finished book, and you pay for them to put it out. They put it out and distribute it for you, and you make money on the back end. And it's, it's a good way for established creators to get books put out that they might not necessarily be able to put out through a major publisher like Tony Harris. Exactly. Has a graphic novel thing that he's doing through Kickstarter, and it looks f***ing amazing. And I believe it's fully funded. Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah. So personally, I think Kickstarter is a great thing. We tried to do Kickstarter, but unfortunately, we're not producing anything creative. (laughs) Nope. They told us to f*** right off. (laughs) Thanks for the question, Keith. And if you've got a comic question you've yet to find a good answer for, you can shoot it to us via Facebook or email, and we'll gladly make something up that almost sounds like we know what we're talking about, like we just did just now. (laughs) Sort of of, break it it down down like this. That is it. For the hottest day of the year edition of the Two-Headed Nerd, it is 105 degrees outside. Surter called me on his drive home from work and said, Matt, this shit sucks. If you don't like wearing a shirt like I don't like wearing a shirt when it's hot because you're a goddamn American and ain't nobody going to tell you what's polite, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes where your star ratings and short reviews could help us get in the iTunes top 10, which would finally prove my theory that regardless of Joe's squeaky cartoon voice and my foul mouth, borderline racist rantings, a good format will take you all the way to the top. Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in cut-off jean shorts and ice-cold PBR tall boys. Do you know what that is? I know what a PBR tall boy is. What is it? Say it's it. a beer. Say it on the right. What's PBR stand for? Pabst Blue Ribbon. Good job, buddy. What do you think? I don't know. He's things. almost a man. <laughs> you can make your donation in any amount by clicking our donate button at twoheadednerd.com. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, your comic that you'd like us to review, your questions for Ask a Nerd, or suggestions for something to read from the comic pushers. 
and your THN mascot art for the THN mascot contest, just like Aaron Kilborn, who finally heeded our call and sent in an amazing piece, the two-headed nerd, sporting not only the Infinity Gauntlet, but the championship belt for the world's mightiest comic cast. I didn't realize how much we talk about wrestling on this show. You want to know how much we talk about wrestling? Five people that are following us are writers for different wrestling groups. Oh, you're kidding. Five people. We just got another one who writes for some Japanese wrestling thing this week. That's I'm heavy crazy. into it. Speaking of the comic pushers, they'll be back next week. Straight Pablo Escobar style, slinging highly addictive comics to your children. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Speaking of which, Joe, tell us what our listeners are saying. On our Facebook page, Nathan Bradford writes, I'm overly pessimistic about the notion of doing something of this scale on a company-wide level. Management for Marvel has made things so unfriendly for the casual reader that it would be smarter for them to just reboot. Then again, smart and Marvel are two words rarely used in the same sentence for quite some time. Face! I've been suffering with the logistical nightmare of Marvel's Flavor of the Week renumbering system, I may have to just give up Marvel entirely if they hose things up any worse. He is not the only person to say that Marvel's continuity is too dense. I just don't see it. Here's a, Well, here's the thing. You and I are not casual readers. That's true. This is true. To be fair. But I'm not saying that doesn't mean we can't speak about this. And this goes, you were just talking about a discussion that Tom Brevoort was having with a guy in Formspring where he kind of freaked out on him saying, why do we have to hold your hands? There is some truth to that. You don't need to know everything that has happened in the history of the Marvel Universe to pick up a Spider-Man comic or to pick up an X-Men comic. I don't know. I've been reading Marvel comics since I was four. I don't know everything. I'm not saying that Nathan is wrong, but Nathan, the casual reader, I totally get it. I completely get it. Where People come in and say, well, I want to start reading The Punisher. Where should I start reading and five guys look at each other and go, oh, you start here. No, 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 start here. No, you need to start here. I get it. It is pretty dense. But that I'm going to say that's part of the game, man. That's part of reading comics. Comics have always been this way. Yes. And, and there was no internet back in the day to explain things for us. I mean, I'm not, Nathan, I understand your pain, but I don't think the casual reader is worried about how to organize their renumbered Marvel comics. Right. That's not a casual fan. When I was a kid, I hate to say this because I'm not that old, but when I was a kid, I didn't care if I didn't understand everything I was reading. I figured it out. Well, and that's part of it. You're not going to understand everything, and that's fine. It's all right. You don't have to. But my guess is they're going to try and make this as accessible as possible. Yeah, people that want to jump on while not insulting the people that are already there, and that's fine. That's like, the only way that comic books continue. And whether you like the big two or not, without the big two, there are no comic books. Matt, what are you excited slash disappointed about? I'm all freaked out about Hickman's Avengers. It sounds totally great. I think I'm more excited about what Rick Remender is going to do with the Uncanny Avengers. That sounds so much fun, and I'm not just saying it because I'm a huge Havoc dork. <laughs> I I am very excited for Hickman's Avengers, though I am also really pumped about the idea that there will be new series that we haven't seen yeah. before, or at least not for a very long time. Hopefully they can succeed. Marvel Now, this is the time for my US1 revival. <laughs> if you would like to play along with the question of the week, all you got to do is follow us on Twitter at Two Headed Nerd or go on the Facebooks and like us. And we will post a question there 
Thursday night, Friday morning. I promise it'll be well before the show airs. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Shonix of the Pull This Podcast, who is getting married right now as we record this. No big deal that we weren't invited. I'm not sweating it. You know, I understand. Whatever, buddy. I mean, we've only known each other for over a decade. It's not no that big of a deal. Big really, deal. man. Seriously. Word to you, Sean, and I could hear the venom in your voice when you were talking about the guy that spoiled your before Watchmen, the comedian comic, with a drunken tweet the Tuesday before it hit the shelves on your last Polis podcast. But don't worry. We're going to find that guy and teach him a lesson. Until next time, <laughs> true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. <laughs>